भद्रम कर्णे श्रृणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येमाक्षुवागुंसस्तनु व्यशेम देवित यदायु स्वस्ति न इंद्रो वृद्धश्रवा स्वस्ति न पूषा विश्वेदा स्वस्ति नस्ताक्ष्योरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओं शाति 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 सो वाट्स द स्टोरी सो फार वी हेव बीन स्टडिंग दि फोर्थ चैप्टर of the mandukya karika which is called the alata shanti prakaranam in this uh, gaudapada having established the non duality of the thuriyam the falsity of of the universe in the earlier chapters now he takes up all these other points of view other philosophies who do not at all agree with non duality and he refutes them um the basic approach is an attack on causality that cause and effect is not real uh, the reality is brahman aturiyam which is beyond cause and effect uh, how is that relevant look at how he uses it first he takes up this question about is there a real world or not has does the world exist uh, so has the world been produced is there really creation the question is has world has the world been created and what he does is he takes up the two major theories of creation in indian philosophy those who say the world has been really produced really created and if you remember satkaryavada and asatkaryavada um the origination of a new effect or the orig- origination of a pre-existing effect these are the two theories and he attacks those theories um there is a lot going on behind the scenes so when he's attacking satkaryavada and asatkaryavada actually gorapada is taking on uh nyaya vaisheshika and the sankhya and yoga philosophies the nyaya and vaisheshika hold on to the asatkaryavada and the sankhya and yoga philosophies hold on to the satkaryavada so by refuting those those uh, theories of causality he is refuting these philosophies and the whole purpose is to show that the re- a real world has not been produced that's what we saw then uh, the story when last time we saw how he takes on another big issue in indian philosophy the law of karma um, what's the story there uh, the story is that we have we have all heard this and i have told you so many times and we have heard this we have read about this this is a basic idea in indian thought that um, um there is the law of karma if you consciously do what is right dharma the result will be punya uh, which is merit and the result of this merit will be sukha happiness good things pleasant things desirable things happen to you in the world and if one consciously deliberately does bad things adharma the result will be papa demerit and uh, uh, the result of the demerit will be dukkha suffering unpleasant things will happen and this itself is the is the ground for uh, talking about for, for holding that there is reincarnation that means there are many births we have existed earlier we we have this body and we are existing in this life when this body dies we'll get another body so karma produces these bodies and with these bodies we do more karma good and bad and by the law of karma um, there is rebirth 
and this cycle of birth and rebirth continues this is called samsara and also this is bondage um, and this is what we are trying to overcome in spiritual life by spiritual practices one day we will be able to come out of this cycle of karma and rebirth uh, maybe by the grace of god in bhakti or whichever way we will be able to come out of it so this is the story we have been told and godapada is having none of it uh, he considers the whole thing to be fictional and so he attacks this this theory see even when he is attacking the law of karma notice it's basically an attack on cause and effect on causality because the law of karma is nothing but causality um by our actions cause we generate karma and that gives rise to certain effects in our life certain things happen in our life so effect cause and effect our bodies are effects because they have been produced by the past karma which is the cause and the body becomes a cause for future karma which will produce future bodies so cause and effect and godapada's attack is constant on cause and effect what what does he say he says uh, if you remember last time we discussed very quickly i'll run through it what is the basic uh, his objection to the law of karma he says uh, how is this um, um, body produced the answer is by past karma but how did that karma come to be so what is first is uh, karma first if you say karma is the cause of everything but you just said we need a body to um, do karma so that means before that karma there must have been a body because so if the opponent says okay we body is first but then how did that body come to be before that body there must be karma the opponent says no body does karma and karma produces the body so that cannot be because uh, cause and effect have to be in sequence if the body is doing karma then the body is the cause and the karma is the effect that karma cannot produce this body let me repeat body produces karma body does karma sharira karma then then you cannot say karma produces the body because this karma has come afterwards effect the cause must be before the effect so you must say there is a there is a karma before that body so they cannot be simultaneous that's what i mean they cannot be uh, mutually producing each other that will not work uh, when you say seed produces tree uh, and the tree produces seed you don't mean the same seed one seed produced a tree a plant and then that plant produces other seeds which will produce other plants they don't produce each other um then um you might say nobody thinks like this um yeah chicken and egg problem rick is saying the same thing nobody thinks like this that's true but when when you are philosophizing you must eliminate every alternative step by step the real law of karma the way, the way it is explained in different indian philosophies that's going to come that's going to come next but we are building up to it another alternative could be suppose the opponent says look god starts you off with karma and body some karma initial karma you know like you are start like the starting a business and your dad or your rich uncle says here is the shop and here is some money now you are on your own so like here is a body here is some karma now you are on your own why why can't you say that god started it all but then did god start all of equally all of them we are all all sentient beings have the same karma and the same body that sounds very weird not only does it sound weird it does not explain anything because then how did differences arise if everybody was the same then how would um, people react differently and do some do good things some do bad things it's not possible there must have been difference 
if you say God created people different, that's many uh, theistic religions say that. So God created people different. Then God is responsible, God is partial. Uh, ultimately then all our sufferings which are due to bad karma can be traced back to God. And some people have, seem to have it so good, so their good karma and all ultimately through a, a beginningless, through a link, you know, a, uh, a chain of cause and effect, it can be traced back to God. God becomes partial then. That doesn't work. That's, that's against the very nature of God. God is supposed to be all loving and beneficent and uh, just. Then um, the opponent says, no, no, no. You're just playing with words. What I meant was there's a chain of karma. So as Rick said, chicken and egg problem. Which came first? The answer is it's a chain. The egg produces the chicken and chicken produces the egg and that produces another chicken. The, plant, the seed produces the plant, the plant produces seeds and those seeds produce other plants. You, karma produces a body, body produces karma, karma produces a body and so it's a chain. That's what I mean. Immediately Gaurapada asks, so what was at the beginning of the chain? Was it an egg or a chicken? Was it a seed or a plant? Was it a body or karma? What was there at the beginning? So um, the opponent finally comes to the, the finished form, the final form of the law of karma, the way it is taught in, in Indian philosophy, whether Hinduism or whatever. All schools say this, it's a chain but a beginningless chain. So that takes care of Gaudapada's objections. You can't ask for a beginning. It's a beginningless chain. Further back, the more you go back, wherever you stop, you will either, either find a body or you'll find karma. You'll either find a chicken or an egg. And if you ask what was before that, if, uh, if it's a chicken, an egg was before that. If it's a plant, a seed was before that. If it's a body, then there was karma before it. And that karma had another body before it and so on. Beginningless. You might say that's illogical, but anyway, that's how it is. That's where it stops. Gaudapada says that will not do. That will not do. If you say beginningless, then um, it could be endless. Generally, series which is beginningless series also is endless series. So, if it is endless, then there will be no moksha. Karma, body, body, karma, birth and rebirth cycle will continue. This is called Anir Moksha Prasanga, the contingency of no moksha. Then what are we doing here at all? Why these Vedanta marathons? Huh? We have a Vedanta class now and then San Diego after this. Um, if there is no moksha, if there is an endless chain of karma and uh, the opponent says, wait, 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 there is an end to it. There is an end to it. So does that satisfy you? No beginning and there is an end. Now that might, forgetting the logical or the, the you know, irrationality which might be involved uh, talking about things which have beginningless but with an end, Gaudapada says, alright, let's accept that. Let's say the law of karma says, karma says that there is no beginning to the chain of karma and bodies and there is an end to it by God's grace, by spiritual practice or whatever, that also won't do. So Gaudapada is merciless. He says that also will not do. Why? Now what is the problem? The problem is this. You are saying that karma will come to an end. By spiritual practice, by grace of God or whatever. So birth and rebirth will come to an end. Moksha will begin. But if moksha begins, then moksha has a beginning. That which has a beginning will have an end. Moksha can end also. 
that moksha which was not there has now originated. Who is to say that the moksha will not disappear again? Moksha may, may very well come to an end also. So, the law of karma, uh, Gaudapada dismisses. It's an appearance. It's part of maya. It's not real. What is real is Brahman or Turiyam, which is beyond the law of karma. Swami Vivekananda put it very well, so simply, in his uh, Song of the Sannyasin. He says, good, good, bad, bad, and none escape the law, but whosoever wears a form, wears the chain. So, this is the law of karma. Then he says, but far beyond name and form is Atman ever free. No, thou art that sannyasi bold, say Om Tat Sat Om. So basically that's the idea in Vedanta. Um, you say that, but Swami Vivekananda did not say that the law of karma is false. Yes, but look what he says. Far beyond name and form is Atman ever free. Atman is ever beyond the law of karma. How can it be beyond the law of karma? Unless the law of karma is an appearance. It's maya. It's just name and form. It's, as he said, beyond name and form is Atman ever free. The reality is the free Atman. You are ever free right now. Ever means, I know if somebody objects, I know I'm ever free. I know Swami Vivekananda said I'm ever free. That's all right. But now how to become free? What will you say to such a person if... If you're seeing at one side, on, on one hand, you're accepting, I am ever free. Now, how? Being ever free, how, how do I become free now of the law of karma? You are ever free. Uh, so, that's what Gaudapada is saying. When Swami Vivekananda says, um, Atman ever free, you are the Atman which is ever free, it implies what Gaudapada is saying here, that the law of karma cannot be real then, in that case. Okay. Um, then, let us go on. We are done up to verse number 20, the fourth chapter, 21. So he just sums up, um, he just sums up what has gone on, his dismissal of the law of karma. Let's do 21. Purva para parijnanam ajate paridipakam jayamanadhivai dharmat Katham Purvam Nagrahyate. What is the English translation? I'll read out from Swami Gambhiranji's translation. The ignorance of the precedence and succession is appointed to the beginninglessness itself. For if it be a fact that a thing takes birth, why is not its cause apprehended? What does it mean? It's basically a um, sort of summing up of what he has been arguing against the law of karma. This very inability, agyanam, aparigyanam, this inability to understand, to conceptualize, to rationally explain the law of karma, purva apara, beginning and end, the earlier and the later, the predecessor and successor, you are unable to explain it rationally, cause and effect. What does it point to? Ajate paridipakam, very beautiful word, paridipakam, it lights up my philosophy of ajata, beginninglessness. No origination. Causality is not true. Because you, you, you cannot logically explain causality. What does it mean? It means there is no cause and effect. There is only one reality which is Turiyam, the Atman or Brahman. Otherwise, he says, Jaya mana dharmat katham purvam nagrihyate. 
if really something is created, universe is created, we have come into, you know, we are being born again and again, if that is true, then why can't you give the cause? Why can't you describe what is the cause effect link, uh, your law and your law of karma, it is failing. So, this is a big, big um, um, claim by Gaudapada. As I have said, the law of karma and birth and rebirth are something that are, that is axiomatic in Indian philosophy. All schools of Hinduism, all schools of Buddhism, all schools of Jainism uh, and Sikhism, all Indian philosophies, they accept. There is so much difference between themselves. The Buddhists do not accept God. The Buddhists do not accept Atma, a permanent soul. And yet they accept law of karma and this reincarnation, birth and repunar janma. One sadhu said, ye, ye, this is a very profound uh, teaching or profound principle. What is the profound principle? Law of karma and uh, reincarnation, punarjanma. Gaurapada is rejecting it. Swami Vivekananda, in his lecture, the basis of Hinduism, what is the common, Hinduism is so diverse. What are the common features of Hinduism? Among that, one thing he said, this reincarnation, law of karma and reincarnation, it's common feature of Hinduism. So, look at the radical nature of Gaudapada. He rejects it. Not that it is not there at the level of Vyavaharika reality, at the level of Maya, yes. But ultimately not real. Ultimately only Brahman is real. Purva Apara, succession, before and after. Here he points to time. Causality, karma, birth, rebirth, all of that. Notice it depends on time. Cause and effect. There must be time. Because cause is first and effect is next. Then only you can speak about cause and effect. So time is there. Uh, birth and rebirth. It's a, it's a time phenomenon, in temporal phenomenon. And what, are, what Gaudapada is pointing towards is that even time is an appearance in consciousness. Time is also not real. Causality, time and space. These three are maya. They are not real. Maya is an appearance. So, karma is causality, which, which is connected to time and also space. So, time, space, causality are appearances, not ultimately real. Ultimately, only uh, the thurium is real. That's what he is trying to say. And he says, ajate paridipakam. So, this shows the reality of what I was trying to say. Ajatavada. Remember, his signature philosophy of Gaudapada. It is one thing that Gaudapada is known for, ajatavada. The, the philosophy of non-origination. Then, I, I know that people have are asking questions, but we'll wait a little. Let me just finish this topic and then I'll uh, go to the questions. So, uh, 20 seconds before he moves on to the next topic. 22nd and 23rd are, um, he continues his attack on causality, that there is no real, really there is no such thing as cause and effect. Let's do 22nd. Swato va parato vapi na kinchid vastu jayate sada sadvapi na kinchid vastu jayate. The translation of this one should be interesting. Uh, 
22nd. A thing whatsoever it may be is born neither of itself nor of something else nor of both together. Nothing whatsoever is born uh, that already exists, does not exist or both exists and does not exist. I hope some of you are smiling. when you. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's actually pretty simple. Gaurapada says six things here. In one verse he says, what is causality? How is a thing born? He says, take a simple thing as a pot. We all say a pot is created. Let Forget the universe or birth and death, samsara, just a pot. Is it created from itself? Is pot created from pot? Swata? No. Swata means from itself. So is a pot created from something that is absolutely not a pot, like a cloth? I mean, in Sanskrit, why the cloth is used? But a ghata means pot. And pata means cloth. So, ghato ghatat jayate patatva. So, it, it's, it's sort of alliterative. That's why they say, so is a pot born of a cloth? Of course not. Mixture of itself and something else? Swatah paratafwa. So, ghata and ghata patat jayate. From the ghata and pata. Is it born? Of course not. The very idea of uh, uh, a pot being born from a pot, that, that is meaningless. If already there is a pot, then what is to be created? And a pot is born from something absolutely not a pot. That's also impossible. Um, you know, a mango tree cannot come out of an apple seed. So something that does not have the potentiality of becoming that, that can never produce it. And a mixture of pot and something else, that's not possible. It's contradictory. It must be either a pot or something else. But it cannot be pot and cloth together. So in no way. Neither from itself is something born, nor from something else is something born, nor from a mixture of itself and something else is something born. The, these are the first three. What is born, if you ask? From what is born? Neither from itself, nor from anything else, nor from a mixture of itself and something else. And then what is the entity which, is ori which origina originates? Sat, is it an existing thing which comes into existence? Is it asat? Is it a non-existent thing which comes into existence? Or is it a mixture of existence and non-existence which comes into existence? Sadasat. So, sadjayate is an existing thing born. Um, asadjayate, non-existing thing is born. Or sadasat, a mixture of existence and non-existence comes into existence. None of those things are also possible. Um, so, which is what we have discussed earlier. If somebody says, hey, wait a minute, you're just playing with words. We all know a pot is born of clay. A pot is created from clay. That's simple. But we have a, in Advaita, we have already discussed this example. If you look at a pot, and if in the moment you say it is created from clay, Gaurapada will have none of that. Because um, the moment you talk about clay, and you examine the pot, you find it's nothing but clay. Where is the pot now? Yes, your question was, from where, how did a pot originate? And if you say, from clay, uh, a pot originated. The moment you examine the pot, it's clay only. There is no pot left now. Um, do you understand why I'm saying when you examine the pot, it's clay only? Because what you touch is clay, what you're seeing is clay, what you weigh is the clay itself. Hmm. Um, what is the pot then? The pot is a name, a word, pot. It's a particular shape, form. And a particular use, you can store water in it or milk in it or something like that. The pot is not a second entity, substance apart from the clay. It is name, form and use, nama, rupa, vyavahara. Somebody may, may persist, 
well at least its name form and use nama rupa viva at least that much is there so that's the part but no name form and use the form of the part can it exist without the clay not at all take the clay away what will happen to the form of the pot will disappear the use of the pot that you can use it to store water if you take the clay away can you use it to store water or milk or anything nothing it will just disappear once the pot disappears when you take away the clay then what does the name pot refer to it becomes an empty word does not refer to anything there is nothing it will refer to this is why the clay is there but there is already a name clay which refers to the clay now this new name pot what does it refer to so name form and use are nothing when you when you subtract the uh, basic material which is clay so there is really no such entity called pot which has been born to say this gorapada says it's not born from itself it's not born from something else not born from a mixture of itself and something else it's not an existing thing which comes into existence it's not a uh, non-existent thing that comes into existence it's not a mixture of existing and non-existing that comes into existence in no way a, a product is produced then the same thing he says in another way this is by the way of concluding his attack on this on causality the attack on causality will continue but this section attack on uh, karma um हेतुर्नजाते नादे फल चापी स्वभाव आदिर्न विद्यते यदीर्न विद्यते दिस इज ट्वेंटी थ्री आई जस्ट रेड ट्वेंटी थ्री आई रीड आउट दि इंग्लिश नो पीपल हेव एस्ट आर रेजिंग हैंड्स बट आई जस्ट फिनिश दिस सेक्शन ट्वेंटी थ्री 23 a cause is not born of a beginningless effect nor does an effect naturally come out of a beginningless cause cause and effect are thus birthless for a thing that has no cause has certainly no birth okay what well, what is what has been said here nothing new it is exactly what has been said earlier if you say uh, the effect has come from what cause yeah. if you we've already discussed this earlier is it a cause which is beginningless but there's no such thing as a beginningless cause if you say the cause itself has a beginning then what is what is at the beginning of the chain of cause and effect same things which we have discussed earlier so no effect is born of a beginningless cause and nor is um, a beginningless effect is there which produces future cause and effect that's also not possible naapi swabhavata here is one other thing see every alternative they considered one other thing is that why talk like this why not just say cause and effect just they just came into being body and karma they just came into being random accidentally there's no explanation for it we are not talking about god we are not talking about prakriti or nature or brahman maya nothing just just body and karma popped into existence random arbitrary why not just if you say that what's the problem the problem is then the whole project of moksha becomes meaningless if body and karma can suddenly come into existence without any reason whatsoever then suppose you there is moksha you are free suddenly body and karma will come into existence and you are trapped in samsara again moksha is there you are free you are turiya 
but if body and karma can randomly come into existence they have come into existence now you are in a body and you have got past karma and the whole cycle of samsara will start for you then then what is the meaning of moksha in that case if randomly body and karma can come into existence really so he dismisses that then the next the second line is interesting adirna vidyate yasya tasya hi adirna vidyate we literally translate that that which has no beginning that has no beginning adirna vidyate yasya that entity which has no beginning tasya adihi adirna vidyate that entity has no beginning what does that mean what he means is the the beginning adi has two meanings the first one is so if an entity has no origination then the second adi means cause that means it it has no cause either that which is unborn has no cause it's beyond cause so there is no effect no cause and the turiyam the atman which is unborn has no cause no preceding cause which is not not produced by anything so that's the um section attacking the law of karma remember at the transactional level which godapada is not interested in there you can accept the law of karma and merrily proceed see this is why mandukya is a little dangerous why it is always the last thing to be taught or um it is sometimes uh, criticized or i remember one monk told me many many years ago when that monk was a brahmacharya novice in the okay let me back up a little bit i was in the training center and uh, um we were i was teaching at that time so a senior monk came visiting and he asked me so what are you teaching the brahmacharis what's what are they being taught now i said they are now studying the mandukya said oh do you know kalida maharaj swami adinathananji was a disciple of the holy mother many years ago many many years ago when this senior monk was a novice a brahmachari uh, that swami came visiting and he asked them what are you studying in the training center now and this brahmachari this monk at that time he said oh we, swami we are studying the mandukya karika and swami adinathananda said oh, no 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 mandukya karika don't teach it to the boys they'll become atheists nastik hoy jabe they'll become atheists one has to take this very carefully he is see the question is then why does vedanta talk about the law of karma if it's not real see that's an initial position a provisional position to bring us out of this animalistic instinctive life we are shown that everything has cause and effect is it fiction no ultimately fiction but right now in our state of maya in our state of delusion it's very very true as swami vivekananda said none escape the law so we must lo- learn the law and act according to the law understand that evil action has bad consequences absolutely it does don't mistake godapada's uh, uh, dismissal of the law of karma as um, what do they call it a, a carte blanche or something that gives you the permission to do whatever you like no if you do sri ramkrishna puts it this way uh, in bengali he said lonka khele jhal lagbe na if you eat a hot chili you're going to get burnt it's going to sting similarly the law of karma kicks into effect the moment you do anything in identification with body and mind which we are let's admit it as long as we are not enlightened we are trapped in this body mind complex when you do something immediately the law of karma kicks into effect 
and there will be um, some results, some, some consequences. Every action has consequences and every consequences there is a cause behind it. So one must be very careful by following the law of karma, careful about what action we do, what our speech, what we say, uh, false speech, harsh speech, unkind talk, avoid those, that's bad karma. And what kind of thought we nurture in our mind. See, here's something subtle. We have no control over what thoughts pop into our mind from the subconscious or what the external world throws into our mind and there's a reaction in the mind. At that moment, we have no control. But the next moment, whether we shall entertain that negative thought of depression or anger or restlessness or whether we shall fight against it and control it and, and, and transform it, that freedom we have got. So, uh, what thoughts we nourish, I, notice I did not say what thoughts come into our mind, we are responsible for that, no. What thoughts we nourish, what speech we, we indulge in and what actions we do, this is karma and it has results. As we follow this carefully and we, we rectify and, and monitor our lives, we rise to a moral and ethical life. And that is the basis for Vedanta. With, when we are prepared, then this higher teaching comes into thing that it sets you free from causality. So from instinctive animalistic life to an understanding of causality, lifting ourselves to um, a moral and ethical life, ready for the higher spirituality, to freedom from causality. As Swamiji says, far beyond name and form is Atman ever free. Thou art that. One section is over. Let me quickly see if I can take care of some, respond to some questions because an, another new section is going to begin. A very interesting section is going to begin now. All right. Sashank, are there questions? Who has raised a hand? Yes. Yeah, namaste, Swamiji. So, according to Advaita Vedanta, ignorance is also beginningless. Huh. Uh, would Gaudapada refute that as well? Uh, yes, because he's not, he does not say that ignorance has a beginning or ignorance is beginningless. Because ignorance in itself is not a reality. Notice, Gaudapada's position, it's, in one sense, it may be mysterious. But actually, it's very easy to understand. Just take the stand of ultimate reality. I am Turiya or I am the Atman. Pure consciousness, pure being, pure bliss. That is what is ultimate truth. I am that. Aham Brahmasmi. I am Brahman. Take your stand from there and then look at it. From that perspective, is there ignorance at all? No. So the question of a beginningless ignorance and how can there be a beginningless ignorance, which we talk about in, in, in the Vedanta, definitely we do. Um, Gaurapada will say, he will dismiss it because from the perspective of Turiyam, there is no ignorance at all. Why do we at all talk about this ignorance? Because uh, we feel it. And from our perspective, until we realize that I am Brahman or I am that Turiyam, uh, beyond cause and effect, the witness of the three states, the ground of the three states of waking, dreaming and deep sleep, until we realize that, realize means as a uh, matter of living truth, undisputable. Until that point, we have to admit that we are under ignorance. We don't know it. We don't feel it, realize it. 
And how did that ignorance come? If you ask that question, the answer will be it's beginningless. And that's not an illogical position. I remember the uh, philosopher Professor J.N. Mohanty in a class in the Institute of Culture in Gold Park in Kolkata, a class on Vedanta, when he talked about the beginningless ignorance, he said that's not difficult to understand. It, it's a very common sense thing. Uh, he asked, so do you know German? And we said no. Since when do you not know German? So you're ignorant of German, right? Yes. Since when are you ignorant of German? Somebody said, since my birth. Oh, so you knew German before your birth. No, 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 I didn't know that. Any kind of ignorance is actually beginningless. Think about it. Any ignorance is beginningless, but it has an end. The moment you start learning German, uh, whatever you are ignorant about, when you start cultivating that knowledge, you, ignorance goes away. Ignorance comes to an end. I was ignorant about German. Then I took a few classes on German. Now I'm not ignorant about German. Ignorance says beginningless ignorance comes to an end. Uh, so ignorance is not an entity like a positive entity like other things. Uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, who else is there? Two others, I think. Maharaj. Yes, Nitin. Uh, this was a good segue into my question. I had a very uh, related question that ignorance comes to an end. The beginningless ignorance comes to an end at the relative level. I'm not talking about the absolute. Of course. Mm. At the relative level, it comes to an end means the knowledge has a beginning. Yeah. So if a knowledge has a beginning, can that knowledge not end at the relative level? It'll, it'll come to an end. Every knowledge comes to an end. So this might be shocking, but this is actually uh, basic. If you remember our uh, Vedanta Sara. The Brahmakara Vritti, which arises, the flash of knowledge, I am Brahman. What does it do? It serves to remove the ignorance that I am not Brahman. And then Brahman, which is ever shining, is realized. Now that realization is not uh, a function of the mind. So it will, it, it is not something that has a beginning or an end. That flash of knowledge, which removes ignorance, it's also an event in our mental life. The ignorance which was there in the mind is now removed by knowledge in the mind. And that knowledge also goes away. But remember, when, that no, when I say the knowledge goes away, it does not mean that we are again ignorant. The knowledge was an episode, a flash, which reveals to us that we are ever Brahman. We never were this individual sentient being called a Jiva. Once that is revealed, you are Brahman. So we can call it revelation, if not knowledge, but there is something that begins. Yes. It stays, even after that vritti is gone, hmm. there is something that had begun with that vritti and it stays even after that vritti. No. No. It has a beginning. The, it, that not end? the ignorance has an end. The ignorance has an end and Brahman is beginningless, endless and that's what you are. Yeah. Right. So you'll say, doesn't the realization of Brahman have a beginning? And that will continue? No, not necessarily. Uh, you realize that you are Brahman and that realization of Brahman is what continues is not an event in the mind. Uh, it's that you are Brahman, it's, it, it's evident, it's ever shining. Practically what happens to an enlightened person is that this, uh, this realization that I am Brahman, it's evident and it's always available. It's not something that a person has to keep thinking, I am Brahman, I am Brahman. No. 
that ignorance which made that person think that I am a person, I am this body-mind and I have heard about something called Brahman. I have even understood something about it. But that flash when it comes, I am that, that is the reality. Even that I also becomes uh, secondary, it's a function of the mind. That reality becomes uppermost and that's always available. That mind which realized it, now is a Jivan Mukta's mind, that mind does not keep dwelling on it. But if it wants, it can refer back to it. It's always available. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. Thank you. Can you hear me? hear me clearly? Because I got a message saying that your connection is unstable. Can you hear me clearly? Yeah. Okay. Swamiji, according to Gaurapada, nothing is born and hence we cannot intellectually find an appropriate cause for it. Yes. But uh, in Gita, Bhagavan says, Natu evam jatu nasam, natu So the effect comes and goes, but the cause remains. Hmm. So is Gaurapada resonating the same thing or is he disagreeing with the scripture? Right. The, the very nature of the cause is to remain and the effect is to come and go. Notice, what is cause and effect in a Vedantic sense, even Sankhya sense? Um, from the same water, waves arise and waves disappear. So the waves have an origination, time when they stay and time when they disappear. But the water is always there. So water as the cause of the waves is always uh, available and the waves have, keep coming and going. So, in that sense, Ishwara, Brahman, Saguna Brahman with Maya, Brahman with Maya is called Ishwara, God. God is seen as the cause of this universe. So, God with the power of Maya is always there, eternal. God is eternal. And in that eternal God, um, the universe arises, which is called creation, Srishti. It stays for some time, uh, Stiti, and it disappears back into into uh, into God, into Saguna Brahman, just as the wave arises and the wave subsides back into the water. So the universe is non-eternal in the sense of coming and going and God is eternal in the sense of being the eternal cause. What Gaurapada is saying, this whole thing of God as the cause and universe as the product uh, is an appearance. There is a reality which is beyond it, which is underlying it. It is because of Nirguna Brahman that, even because I cannot say, Nirguna Brahman is the only reality. And at the level of appearance, at the level of our samsara for appearance, there is cause and effect. Here there is an eternal cause called God and a non-eternal effect called this world, our body-mind. But the whole thing is an appearance, a superimposition in technical terms, adhyasa. The reality always is Turiya. So, in terms of Mandukya, there are three states, waking, dreaming, deep sleep. Waking and dreaming are called Karya, effect. Deep sleep is called Karana. Gross state, waking. Subtle state, state, dreaming. Causal state, look at the word causal. Karanavastha is deep sleep, Sushupti. That causal state is the state of God. And the uh, subtle state is the state of God, God, the causal state is state of God. Causal is in, in Sanskrit, the state of God is Ishwara. The subtle state is the mental state. Uh, it is called Hiranyagarbha. And the physical state, the gross, thula uh, state is called um, Virat or Vishwarupa. 
what Gaudapada is saying, none of them are real. Only Turiyam is real, the one which is appearing as cause and effect. Turiyam is appearing as Ishwara, Hiranyagarbha, Virat. But appearing as, which is real? Is Turiyam real plus Ishwara plus Gaudapada plus uh, uh, Hiranyagarbha plus Virat? No. It's like saying there is um, uh, a bracelet, a necklace and a ring and gold, fourth. How many are there? If you count the ornaments, three. But if you count gold, only one. Gold alone exists. But it appears in these ways. Yeah. Yes. So mind the panic. Pranam Maharaj. Um, I think I have, I don't know if my question makes uh, sense or not. I think I'm clouded a little bit by science. And I'll refer to the clay pot example. Hmm. Uh, today you said that time, space and causality is not real. Um, what do you think about energy? For example, with the clay pot example, how do we account for the energy or some thought that goes in the transformation of the clay to the pot or even something else? Right. So, first of all, don't extend the clay pot example too much. Uh, as Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Upama Agdeshi. That means an example is meant to prove a point. Uh, we are not actually concerned with clay or with pots. It's just meant to prove a point that the pot is nothing apart from the clay. That's all. Don't bring the potter into it. Don't bring um, pottery barn into it and uh, things like that. So that's one point. Second is, what about energy? Matter and energy, both are appearances. Uh, what is the reality? Brahman is the reality. That, that's what um, uh, Godapada would say. How do you understand this? You have to go back to chapter 2 and chapter 3. Um, for example, Gaudapada would immediately give the example of the dream example, for example. Um, you see, in dreams, you see so many things made of matter. Buildings and trees and this organic matter, inorganic matter, living beings, non-living beings. And there's so much energy being expended. People are moving around and talking and fighting and lots of things are happening. But when you wake up, when you wake up, you realize that one mind alone appeared as all that matter and all that energy, and that matter and energy was not real. What was real was the mind. That is an example. What is being exemplified? What is Gaudapada's point? The point is from the perspective of Turiyam, which is consciousness and existence, everything else, matter, energy, time, space, causality, is an appearance. So that's, that's the answer. Uh, let's go on. Sorry, one last question. Yes. You had mentioned that you know, Gaudapadhyaya says that karma and a body cannot just come together. Yeah. But we are seeing that it, I mean, at least I feel that in this Maya, it is coming together. Or How? I mean, we... So you, you are born. You are born, there must be a cause behind it. So there was karma before, before your birth. That karma, part of your past karma, Prarabdha karma has produced this birth, this body, your parents, your particular circumstances. For this life, a part of your past karma is responsible. So karma was before birth. And now this birth, with this body, you are producing fresh karma. So clearly there is a sequence. 
so but isn't he saying that this is not possible yeah he's saying this is not possible so, so one of the things which you said simultaneous how so he's saying simultaneous it cannot be so how can it be simultaneous because uh, the karma which produced this body must have come before this body so it's, it cannot be simultaneous you said it they, can't they come together yes so it is but we but we are going through past lives that is this birth life cycle or is he refuting that also he's refuting that he's refuting that notice this is a crucial point this is the the key to what's going on here it, it might seem very mystifying otherwise Gaurapa at no point denies that you are experiencing these things. He does not deny your experience. He denies the reality of your experience. He does not deny that you are seeing a pot. But he is saying that the pot is nothing apart from the clay. He does not deny that you see a necklace or a ring or a bracelet. But he is saying that necklace, ring and bracelet are nothing apart from the gold. There is no entity called a necklace apart from the gold similarly when you say aren't we going through past lives present life people things are happening is he denying this what is he saying you have to be careful he is saying what you are seeing now none of it is apart from you the consciousness in fact it is a nice segue into the next topic if you are asking is there an external real world at all are we going through a real life with real people, real body, is there, are things there externally or not? If this is one form of the question you are asking, as we common sense we take it to be. Uh, is there Zoom, is there a Swami um, hundreds or thousands of miles away, uh, are there multiple time zones, people getting together, all these things, are they happening or not? What is his answer to that? Uh, so, he is not denying that you are experiencing it. But he's denying that they are real. How unreal things, how can we experience? Of course we can experience unreal things. Don't we dream? Don't we make errors? Don't we watch movies? Don't we read fiction? Okay. But this is a question. And uh, let's go on now. The next section comes along. Precisely this question. Is there an external world? Many of the philosophers Godapada deals with and many of the questions which we, come, we deal with is, uh, how are you saying that there is not a world outside? So this is a standard question that Bill has been asking for 95 years. <laughs> so how are you denying that there is a world outside? Outside my mind. So this is the question asked by the realist, by the materialist, who says a world exists, whether you know it or not, whether you imagine it or not, there is a world outside your own thoughts. Objects exist. And then you perceive them. So this, this kind of philosophy is now going to be uh, examined and rejected by Gaurapada. Again using his um, attack on causality. Um, who are these people? So specifically what's going on here is, uh, earlier Gaurapada has uh, rejected the Nayaikas and Sankhyas. He's rejected all those philosophers who talk about law of karma. Now his target is actually the Buddhists. What he does here is, little background. The uh, ancient Buddhists in India were divided into four philosophical schools. Sautrantika, Vaibhashika, Yogachara Vijnana Vada, that's one name, and uh, Madhyamaka Shunyavada. 
plus another name. So four, Sautrantika school, Buddhists, Vaibhasika school, Buddhists, Yogachara Vijnanavada school, Buddhists, and um, Madhyamaka Shunyavada school, Buddhists. Four schools of Buddhism. What are the differences between them? Many, many differences. But uh, for what concerns us right now is this issue of whether there is a world, external world, apart from my mind or not. Question, is there a world apart from my mind? Who thinks that? Common sense, that's our common sense. The people I see, they exist apart from me. Yeah, my body exists in the, physically. The chair I sit on is existing physically. It's not in my mind. <laughs> There's a world out there which exists. Uh, so I'm living a life in this physical world. This is the common sense view. On this question, there can be four positions which the Buddhists have taken up. What are these four positions? Um, one position is the Sautrantika view, which is called Bhayartha Pratyakshavadi. That means you directly perceive external objects. By external I mean apart from you the knower. The teacup you perceive. There is a real teacup in the world. There is a real world and a real teacup. And you are touching it, seeing it. Directly it is revealed to you by your perception. By seeing, touching the tea you taste. It is really out there. Apart from your mind. It is not in your mind. And how do you know it is there? By pratyaksha. By seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. It is very close to our common sense way of the way we view the world. Are you with me? So the first alternative is... There is an external world. How do you know? We see it. We see it, hear it, smell it, taste it, touch it. One, Bhaihartha Pratyakshavadi. Bhaihya means external, Artha means object, Pratyaksha means uh, direct perception. Vadi means the philosopher who says that external things exist and are directly perceived. Sautrantika, one Buddhist. Second, the Vaibhashika Buddhist is saying that, uh, no, no, no. There is an external world, but we do not directly perceive it. Uh, we infer it. What do you mean? Notice what happens when you perceive something. When you say that I am perceiving something, here is a book. I, I am looking at a book now. But really what is happening is, and this is common sense science uh, today also, absolutely modern science will have, have no objections to this way of thinking. The light falls on the book and the light goes, reflected from the book goes into my eyes. By the time it reaches my eyes, the book is not there. The book does not enter my eyes, thank God. Only the light enters the eyes. So what my sense organs are receiving? O Sautrantika, you said directly you are perceiving. No, no, no. Directly only light goes into your eyes. And from there, um, your uh, um, mind, it goes to the brain and the, in the brain the neurons fire and somehow an image of this book is created in your mind and you say, I see a book. So by the activity of our sense organs and our optical nerves and our brain activity, we get a result from which we infer that there is really a book outside. Are you with me? Is this not how we understand perception in modern medicine and, and uh, biology, physiology? Actually, nobody says that we are directly experiencing objects. Objects Sense data only comes to us. Objects don't come to us. Sense data are gathered by our sense organs. And then sense data is also transformed into little bursts of electricity. There is neither sight nor sound, light, uh, none, no objects are there. Only little bursts of electricity racing along our nerves 
optic nerve, auditory nerve, olfactory nerves. They are racing around our nerves to the brain centers and from there somehow nobody knows how. That is the crux of the hard problem of consciousness. Nobody knows how these sights, sounds, smells, tastes are presented to you the consciousness. From there you infer such things exist in the world. You say, I don't think like that. We don't think like that. But uh, that's what's going on basically. Would you agree? Yeah. So this is a more scientific way of looking at it. This is called Bahyartha Anumeyavadi. Bahya, external, artha, object. Anumeya means uh, inferable. Vadi, philosopher. The philosopher who infers the existence of external objects. Both say there is a world. And there are external things in the world. Absolutely as you experience them, they are there. So these are... They are called realists, Buddhist realists. These are attacked by the third school of Buddhism, the Vijnanavadi, Yogachara Vijnanavadi Buddhist, who says, neither directly perceived, nor experienced, nor inferred. There are no external objects. They only appear to be external. Now, everything is, uh, is internal, uh, is in your mind. Just like a dream, where you perceive that there are things, people and teacup, everything external. But actually when you wake up, what do you realize? Everything was in my mind. Space, time, people, objects, activities, all was going on in my mind only in the dream. Yeah. In the dream, there was nothing external. I was not experiencing an external world. Exactly like that, what you think your waking world is, all of that is in consciousness only. You say, just a minute, sounds like Advaita, very much like Advaita. Yeah. So... The Vijnanavadi Buddhist denies any external objects. Whatever you experience, you experience in consciousness. It's like watching a movie. There is no external object at all. Now, they're very much like Advaita Vedanta. The last one we are not con concerned with, the Shunyavadi, which uh, Gaudapada does not talk about here. What Gaudapada now does is, remember Gaudapada's unique way of fighting against his opponents. Do you remember? What he does is, he uses the arguments of one against the other. Uh, so he has done this earlier also. Now he's going to do this. What he's saying, he wants to deny that there is an external world. And here are two philosophers, Sautrantika Vaibhashika Buddhists, who say there is an external world, directly perceived or inferred. And here is another Buddhist philosopher who is very much like Advaitins and who says that everything is in consciousness. There is no real external world at all. When this idealistic Buddhist, the Vijnanavadi, attacks the realist Buddhists, the arguments that the Vijnanavadi uses, Gaudapada takes those arguments and he uses it to attack people who say that there are external objects, there is an external world. What is he doing? Using the Vijnanavadi's arguments against the Sautrantika Vaibhashika in order to show that there is, it's illogical to think that there are external objects. So will he agree with the Vijnanavadi? No. He will ditch the Vijnanavadi. Once his purpose is fulfilled, he has defeated the realists. Now the Vijnanavadi will say, so you are in our camp. Why don't you become a Buddhist? He will say, no, you are the worst of the lot for these reasons. He, he will <laughs> um, dismiss the Vijnanavadi also. But for the time being, the story is this. People say there are external objects. The Vijnanavadi opposes them. Just by the way, in modern philosophy, most fashionable uh, current trend, what is the thinking? It's realism, that the world is real there because it matches science. And there are two schools of realism in modern philosophy, Western philosophy. One is called naive realism. Naive realism means as the world exists, so we perceive it. We are directly perceiving the world. 
you say, hey, that sounds a lot like the Sotrantika. Yes. And there is a second school of realists which are called the critical realism. Critical realism is that we do not directly perceive the external world, but we infer it. Data comes into our mind and from that we, we, we make a picture of the external world and from that we infer that there is an external world. You say, hey, does not that sound a lot like the Vaibhashika? Yes. So, <laughs> we have new names for them, naive realism today in 21st, 20th, 21st century. These are the prominent schools of uh, philosophical, metaphysical thinking today. Naive realism, critical realism. They do not know 25 centuries ago in ancient India, these were prominent schools of Buddhism, Sautrantika and Vaibhashika. Okay. Now, I will just do one more verse, just start the debate off because we are running out of time. We are, so far this is the background. Uh -huh. Realism under attack by the idealistic Buddhists and we or Gaudapada is going to uh, use the idealistic Buddhists to refute the realists and then later he will dismiss the idealistic Buddhist also. So, we are entering in the middle of the debate. We have lost the sound. Uh, can you hear me? I think somebody is saying that we can't hear. You can hear? You can hear? Yeah, we can hear. So, um, we are joining the debate. The story has already started. We are joining it halfway. I gave you all the background for the understanding what's going on here. What's going on here is the story has started. The uh, idealists are saying, oh realists, there are no external objects. It's everything is in your mind like a dream. Uh, everything is like watching a movie, actually not out there. Now, the realists are going to push back. So, this is the point where we are joining the story. When the idealist says there are no external objects, it is all in your mind. Uh, remember who is here, the Vigyanavadi idealists whom we are joining for the time being. And the opponent is the realists. Who are they? They are also Buddhists. Um, they are Sautrantika and Vaibhashika. They are going to push back and say, how can you say there are no external objects? See, 20 verse number 25. Pragyapte sannimittatvam ishyate yukti darshana. Just a minute. No, 24. Verse number 24. Somebody should have pointed this out. Pragyapte sannimittatvam anyathadvaya nashata sankleshasya upalabdhescha paratantrastitamata. This is an objection from counterattack from the Sautrantika Vaibhashika 24. Translation We have to admit that knowledge has its objects, since a contrary supposition leads to an annihilation of duality, and the existence of objects as supported by the opposite systems of thought is also admitted from the fact of the experiences of pain. So, what, what is being said here? The realists are pushing back. And remember, these people, they may have existed 2000 years ago uh, and may be existing in academic departments now, but their questions are our questions. This is a very common sense view. So, what is going on here? Um, just a minute. So, the realist pushes back, says, 
there are external objects external means external not to the body external to your consciousness external to consciousness apart from consciousness why notice your experiences who is saying this the realist to the idealist to us we are also hiding behind the idealist now with god of father the realist is saying notice your experiences you have so many experiences if you think you are consciousness consciousness is one and the same and the same consciousness has so many experiences why should the same consciousness have many experiences unless there are many things outside consciousness i'll repeat that you have so many kinds of knowledge you see so many things and people right now right now when you look you see so many people in on the on your zoom screen and each of them has a different interesting background and uh, you hear sounds that i'm talking and what i'm saying also has many words i'm saying many different things and the things you can touch and if you are eating you can taste something so all those different kinds of knowledge are coming to you one after another again and again and if you are if there is only consciousness nothing outside consciousness how will you account for this variety of knowledge because there are external objects millions of external objects people and food and and smells and tastes and touch all of these things are there um the, the items to be tasted touched or smelt they are there because of that you are getting variety of experiences if that was not so if consciousness alone was so was was existing then he says dwayanashaha duality would be lost without duality no experience you need subject and object for experience and for multiplicity of experiences because you are the same subject having multiple experiences that means there must be multiple objects and if you say there is only the subject consciousness as you the idealist vigyanavadi says then how will you account for experience you are also having multiple experiences series of experiences throughout the day so dwayanasha duality will go away if only subject is admitted and with so what if duality goes away we want non duality no if you duality goes away then there will be no subject object there will be no experience no no way of accounting for your experiences you can't dismiss your experiences godapada you know remember what i said earlier godapada is trying to show is is not denying your experience but questioning the reality of your experience here the realist is pushing back you can't question the reality of the objects without those objects you will not have these experiences how will you explain the experiences variety of experiences by only consciousness also he gives a special clay a case some kleshasya upalabdhe because of pain and remember this is buddhists so they are big on pain the whole thing starts with everything is sorrow so because of the existence of pain you must admit that there is a cause of pain and there is a body which feels pain uh, he is giving uh, a prominent problem for us a prominent problem is suffering pain physical and mental take very simple example of physical pain a burn or a prick where uh, it it hurts not just consider that example you can't say it's all in the mind it's um, there must clearly there is something that caused the pain so there must be something outside your mind and there is something that felt the pain which is very physical uh, it is uh, the body which feels the pain so the existence of pain proves a body which experiences pain and something outside the uh, which causes pain maybe outside means outside the mind it could be internal to the body or outside the body but it causes pain to the body 
and clearly you feel it. So, existence of external objects must be admitted because of multiplicity of, uh, of uh, experiences and also because of the very important uh, experience of pain. Yeah. What will you say to that? Who? We are, we are hiding, Vigyanavadi is in front. So, Vigyanavadi has got uh, answers for that. We will see. Uh, unfortunately, we have run out of time because I have to join the San Diego uh, meeting also. So, and you also have to get ready. Many of you are joining that meeting. Um, Prabir Babu had raised the hand. Let's see. Yeah, it's a cliffhanger. <laughs> uh, we seem to have proved external objects. Bill often asks this question from Samuel Johnson. Remember, the same debate happened three or four, 400 years ago. Berkeley, uh, Bishop Berkeley, he, uh, the, the philosopher, Irish uh, um, priest and philosopher, subjective idealist, just like the Vigyanavadi, he said it's all in the mind, there is no, nothing external. And Samuel Johnson, when he was told this, um, uh, this philosophy, that everything is subjective, in the mind, no objective experience, no objective entities. Samuel Johnson, it seems, he kicked a rock and he said, I refute it thus, I refute it thus. What does he mean by that? Here is a solid thing I'm kicking and it's hurting my toes. Almost the same argument which 2000 years ago the Sautrantika and Vaibhashika are pushing back against the idealist. What does the idealist say? To wait for a week. Let me, uh, I will not take time. Just give you the answer in essence. Otherwise, you will be in tension to spare you this metaphysical tension for one week. Does the external world exist or not? Uh, let so, the Vigyanavadi answers that um, no, there is no external object. An example could be the dream. In a dream, you see uh, your own body, you see other people, um, maybe rain is falling and it feels wet. All of that, the rain and the clouds and the body and the feeling wet, the whole thing is in the mind and you yourself admit it once you wake up. So, in the same way, this whole thing can be in consciousness. Entire diversity, there is a way of explaining the diversity because of Maya. So, just like in the same mind can imagine and create subject object and all sorts of diversity, similarly in consciousness. In the waking state also, the whole thing can be and in fact is uh, experienced. So, that will be the answer. From the, he will say, from the perspective of Advaitic reality, that means consciousness reality, Turiya, you will see the whole thing is an appearance in consciousness. There is no need to uh, accept external things existing externally. Not only there is no need, it is illogical, uh, external things apart from consciousness. That will be the answer. And that will not be the end of it. The realist will push back again. Very subtle questions will be there. And those will all, all be dealt with. Not by us. Not by Godapada. By the Vigyanavadi. Will do all the hard work for us. And when the realists are defeated. Godapada will mercilessly get rid of the Vigyanavadi also. So that's going to be the program for next time. Prabir Babu let's quickly hear your question. Yeah. Bharat. Uh... You don't have to answer today, but my question is the, the difference between the Abrahamic, Abrahamic religions do not have the law of karma, and we do, and some, some people 
actually say that that is because of our thalamic nature of we believe in fake too much so i want to know the difference between the two and what the pros and cons Yeah that's a that's a big question but remember here we are not here we are even dismissing the law of karma the law of karma is a much more sophisticated answer to the whole problem of uh, life um and beyond that lies advaita and gaudapada who dismisses even the law of karma so it's not that see there there is alternative the alternative is god is in charge so ultimately everything that happens to us is because of god but even in the abrahamic religions in judaism christianity islam remember a very important fact is god is just so what god does to us there's a there's a standard of justice so we deserve we get what we deserve and in the bible we sow uh, what we reap uh, so whatever we have sown that we reap that's more or less the law of karma in its let's um, dare i say seed form so when you say just there is some link between what we are getting and what god is giving so it's not random not arbitrary it's almost exactly like the law of karma without spelling out the details but the whole thing godapada is is rejecting he says it it's illogical all right we'll leave it at that om shanti 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 hari om tat sat Shri Ram Krishna Gopanamastu